Well, good morning, friends. It is good to be with you. Uh, I think we have seen the last of Science Sunday, but we will be sad to see them go. Uh, hey, it's great to be with you. My name is Ethan Magnus, one of the pastors here. Super glad to be with you. Um, happy Labor Day weekend to you. Hope you got some fun plans here and got some fun stuff going on. Uh, we're trying to head up to the mountains this afternoon, so we're looking forward uh, to that. Uh, let's see, we're finishing up this series on the DNA of FCC. Uh, we're, we're just talking about who we are. Uh, biological DNA, it, it's the, the building blocks of life, the instructions for every cell in your body, and our spiritual DNA works the same way. And we're just talking about who we are meant to be in Christ. Uh, we've talked about how as a church, we want to love God and put God before everything else. We want to love others, uh, making sure that everybody knows that God loves them, so we love them. And we talked last week about making disciples. We just, uh, just kind of frankly said Christ has commanded us to make disciples, and so every one of us kind of needs to ask the question, into whose life are we investing? How are we strategically training people for ministry and service and for the love of God? And this week we want to look at the last element of the DNA of our church and the DNA of us as Christ followers. Uh, like the third element, this one comes from a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples in between the resurrection and his ascension. We looked last week at Matthew 28, what we call the Great Commission. Well, well the author Luke has, a, has sort of a Great Commission of sorts, too. It's found right in the beginning of the book of Acts. Look with me there. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom. On one occasion, when he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him. They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or, or the dates. The Father has set these by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. If the Great Commission of Matthew, which we read last week from Matthew chapter 28, to go and make disciples, if that is the mission of the church, I'm convinced that the Great Commission of Acts, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I'm convinced this is the strategy of the church. We've talked about this text before as a congregation. I love this text because this is the text that reminds me of how we as Christians approach a lost 
world? What is our role in the expansion of God's kingdom? And I love how clear Jesus is. We are called to be witnesses. I love that. I love it because it both reminds me of what I should do, but it also protects me from what I need not do. Jesus says, you don't have to, you're not the judge. You don't have to condemn anybody. You're not the jury. You don't have to decide anyone's fate. You're not the lawyer. You don't have to argue or convince. You're just the witness. You just have to testify to what you've seen. Just wherever you go, as you encounter people in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, tell the truth about what you've seen. This is the fourth element of our DNA. Every one of us is invited to tell our story. To tell your story. Not to, not to argue, not to control, not to threaten, not to judge, but just to bear witness. We, we sang about the faithfulness of God. If you have a story about the faithfulness of God, Jesus says, bear witness to that. Tell somebody about the faithfulness of God. If you have a story about a Sunday school class that saved your marriage, bear witness to that. Tell somebody about where you'd be without those people surrounding you. This is the fourth element of the DNA of First Christian Church. We love God, love people, make disciples, and we tell our story. But of course, this is a tough one for a lot of us. Figuring out how to live with a posture in the world where we're actually able to tell our story in a way that's winsome and not condemning and actually inviting to people, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, so I want to do something today. I, I want to look at a, just, just one extended text with you uh, from God's Word. It's a story from Jesus' life. And I just want us to see, see what we can learn about how to tell our story. Uh, the text I want to look at you with you is from John chapter 4. Uh, so we sometimes know this text as the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. John chapter 4, you can follow along in your Bibles or on your iPhone or whatever, or it'll be up on the screen as well. John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee To get there, he took the short way. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Uh, His own disciples had gone into the town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And I said we're going to stop every once in a while to see what we can learn about telling our story. So I just want to stop here and make sure you understand what's at stake with Jesus talking to this woman. 
Jesus is in this moment crossing so many barriers. Jesus is in this moment defying so many cultural expectations. As, as, as a rabbi, in fact, just as a Jewish man, uh, he shouldn't have been talking to that woman. As a Jew, he shouldn't have been sharing a glass with that Samaritan. As a citizen of Israel, he shouldn't have been sharing any conversation with the traitors in this region who had fought on the side of Rome. As, as a person who was aware of his history, he shouldn't have been settling down in the town of Sikar, for these were the people who had abandoned historical Jewish theology and gone their own way. As the text goes on, we'll discover they disagree about so much. There were so many obstacles to this conversation. I think maybe the first thing that I learn as I read this story and I think about how I should tell my story is this. God wants everyone to hear the story of Jesus. I just, I just you can't overstate how radical it is that Jesus would interrupt his journey to stop and talk to this Samaritan woman. Later in the story, we discover that on top of all this, she's gone from husband to husband and husband to husband. She's condemned herself by her own behavior as a woman of low moral standing. And yet here is this rabbi himself seeking to live a perfect life who goes out of his way to build a relationship with her. I'll just say, if you want to live out this part of your DNA, if you want to be a person who bears witness to the world, this is my first thing I'd want you to learn from this text. Don't decide in advance who doesn't need to hear the story of Jesus. Don't decide in advance some of you know a person who may have drifted away from faith and you're like, they're too far gone, they're too hard up, there are too many barriers, there are too many cultural walls between us. I couldn't reach out to them. Don't decide in advance who God wants to use, who God wants to get his story to by using you. Maybe you've got a person from work or a neighbor and you know they were burned by the church once, and you're like, they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't want my story. There's too much baggage between us. Don't say no for God. And don't say no for them on their behalf. Just tell your story. I love the way Jesus starts. Can I have a glass of water? I mean, if she'd said no, that would have been pretty clear. We're not talking. But he at least is open to it. I think when the church, when God's church is at its best, we are the people who, like Jesus, recognize that the walls of race and gender and politics and history that divide people, these are walls that God intends to tear down. We are the ones who can begin to trust God 
and take a risk and try to build a relationship with somebody who is nothing like us except they have this one thing in common with us and that is that God loves them. And that's what we learn from this moment from Jesus. We learn that if the only thing two people have in common is that God loves both of them, that's enough of a foundation for a relationship. I, d- I just, uh, the next time you meet somebody and you're like, Ethan, you don't understand, politically we're so different, or racially we're so different, or politics, or history, or culture, or economics, I just want you to see what Jesus teaches us here. If all you have in common is that God loves you, you have enough. All right, let's keep going. John chapter 4, they begin to talk. They have a wonderful conversation about some theological differences. I'm going to skip to near the end of their conversation. John chapter 4, verse 25. The woman says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned. They were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. I'm going to stop right there again. I want you to just notice just this little thing. This woman, uh, she had a reputation in town. She was trouble. Everybody knew it. She was out there in the middle of the day drawing water, probably because she didn't want to be where the other people were. She has an encounter with Jesus. And she runs back into town to tell her story. She has an encounter with Jesus, and she runs back into town to tell her story. And look how simple her story is. She runs back into town. All she has, all she knows to tell, she hasn't figured it out. She can't explain the theology of it. She doesn't know how to answer any of their questions. She just has this tiny little story. Come see this guy who told me everything I ever did. And the whole town comes out. Here's what I want you to believe. As we think about how to express this fourth element of our DNA, here's what I want you to believe, because I believe God's Word teaches it. Your story is enough. I think some of us, the reason we are holding back from being the evangelist God wants us to be. And God wants you to be an evangelist. Not the person sitting next to you. Not the person three rows behind you. God wants you to be an evangelist. And I think for some of us, the reason we are holding back from being an evangelist is because we don't think our story is enough. It's like when the police call for witnesses and you don't go forward because you don't think you saw enough. But what do you know? It could be the little tiny thing you saw is all that is needed to crack the case. This woman's story is so simple. A whole town, a whole town came to meet Jesus on the basis of her tiny little story. I just had one cool conversation. Come meet this guy. 
You got a better story than that. I mean, I'm not saying your story is amazing, but it's better than I had one cool conversation, right? You've got a better, listen, this is what it means. Remember, we're called to be a witness, not the judge, not the jury, not the lawyer. We're not supposed to convince anybody or cajole anybody or crucify anybody or judge anybody. We're just supposed to tell what we've seen. And your story is enough. In the hands of God, you have a story to tell, and it's at least as good as the story the Samaritan woman had to tell. Some of you have this story. God saved my marriage. My marriage was a disaster. We turned it over to God, and God saved our marriage. If you've got that story, that's an amazing story. Tell that story to somebody. Some of you have this story. God rescued me when my husband or wife abandoned me. God protected me in the midst of a terrible divorce. If you've got that story, that's an amazing story. You tell that story. Somebody needs to hear that story. Somebody, you want to have a story about how God gives me hope or God healed my body. Some of you want to tell a story about how my Sunday school class rescued me when I was desperate. Or some of you have a story that you want to tell about God's faithfulness. We just sang that song about God's faithfulness. Some of you have a story about the faithfulness of God. And if this woman can get a whole town to come meet Jesus because she has one interesting conversation, there is somebody who could be saved by your story if you would just tell them. I don't know who it is, because I don't know what your story is, and I don't know who God's going to introduce you to, but I just know you have got a story of the faithfulness of God. You have got a story of the mercy of God, and if you would just be ready to tell it, your story is enough. I was in college, and um, I was hanging out with a guy. He'd grown up in the church, uh, you know, done the whole thing. He'd gone to church most of his life. Parents always taken him, but he'd kind of done the thing where as soon as he got to college, he quit going to church. Well, I kept going to church, but we were hanging out one day, and I was mainly complaining about my church. I know, it's not classy, but some people complain about their church. But anyways, I did it. Um, So I was complaining about, I thought the music was lousy because it was the 90s, and so it was all the keyboard with the string settings, and I didn't like that. And I was complaining about the sermons were too long. I know none of y'all ever done that, but I did that. But anyways, I was complaining about my church, and which obviously, I shouldn't have been doing this. This kid was, you know, he hadn't been in church in two years, but I'm sitting there complaining about church. At the end of my complaint, he said to me this, he said, Ethan, why don't you just quit going? I mean, your parents aren't, don't know, right? You're at college now. I'm not going to, why don't you just quit going? And I actually had to think about it for a while. I wasn't quite clear at first why well, I wasn't still going. And then finally, I actually did. I figured out my answer. I said, well, I tell you, uh, I go because even when the music's awful and the sermon is too long, um, I, I can't go a week without sharing the Lord's Supper um, because it doesn't matter how bad you do everything else, when the elements are there, I'm reminded of my sin, I'm reminded of Christ's death, I'm reminded of God's mercy, I'm reminded of my forgiveness, and I, and somehow after we take communion, the songs don't sound so bad, and the sermon doesn't seem so long, and so I go back. Well, we parted ways, and I was just beating myself up about that stupid answer. 
I'm like, oh my goodness. That guy hadn't been to church in two years. Why didn't you tell him the music was good? Why didn't you tell him you liked the sermons? You should have invited him to church. What kind of stupid person doesn't invite somebody to church in, that kind, in the middle of that conversation? Saturday night, 2 a.m., which I know to me now sounds late. Back then, that was just normal, right? So to get a phone call at 2 a.m. was not a weird thing then. Saturday night, 2 a.m., he calls me. He says, that thing you said about communion, I had forgotten about grace. What time do you leave for church in the morning? He went for me, he went with me to church every single Sunday for two more years till he graduated. See, I didn't have a good story. I mean, let's be clear, it was a bad story. I didn't like the music, I didn't like the preaching, I just liked Jesus. But it was my story. And it turns out in that one case, my story was enough. And I've just found that to be true so many times. My God's been so faithful to me, and I know, I just know, this is not something special about me. I'm a, I'm a terrible evangelist. This is not a spiritual gift of mine. God will be just as faithful to you. If you just tell your story, you're going to be amazed how often your story is enough. Just tell them what you know about the faithfulness and mercy of God, and then invite them. This is what the woman did. She didn't tell him, don't take my word for it, right? She said, just come with me. We'll go meet Jesus. All right, let's read a little more. Okay, we're going to back up a little bit so we figure out where we are in the story. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town, and she tells her story. Come, see a man, told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And like we said, her story was enough. So they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Uh, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Remember, they'd gone into town to buy food. He said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. That's a little weird. Disciples said to each other, could someone else have brought him food? Like, we don't know about that food. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Don't you have a saying Four more months till the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look around. The fields are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. All right, so far we've looked at this text and we've learned that God wants us to tell our story to everybody, even those we think might not be open to it. We've learned that your story is enough, even your little story might be enough to bring somebody to Jesus. Now this third lesson we're going to learn from this story, this is not the happy lesson. This is kind of the hard one, actually. I want to go back and look at one fantastic moment in this story because it's easy to miss just how weird this moment is. Okay, remember the lady goes back and tells her story, and that's enough, and everybody comes to meet Jesus. Look at verse 30 and verse 31, back to back. Notice what happens. They, this is the whole town, they came out of town and made their way toward him. And the disciples look at Jesus and say, you know, it seems like a pretty good time to go get lunch. There's a, look at all those Samaritans coming our way. Let's go grab some lunch. This is crazy. And we miss just how crazy it is. 
The whole town is coming back to meet Jesus. The very reason these people are there is to announce the kingdom of God. And now a whole town is coming to hear the good news. And the disciples are like, yeah, I think it's lunch break. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. We're going to do lunch break right now. Sorry, we'll come back later. What is going on here? Do they care so little about Samaritans? Do they care so much about lunch? Have they forgotten their mission? Were they just that selfish? Jesus then does one of his favorite things. He uses their confusion as an opportunity for instruction. He says, all right, y'all want to talk about food? Let's talk about food. He says, dudes, I already got food. I got food you don't know anything about. And they say to each other, wait, did you get food? And he says this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish this work. This is my food, he says. He says, don't get distracted by lunchtime. Don't pay attention to the clock. Don't, don't leave as soon as the bell rings. He says, you know what satisfies me? It's not the shopping trip you just went on, but the harvest of the gospel that we're about to experience right here. Just hold tight. We're going to be filled up with what's about to happen when this town arrives and we get to witness to them. I worry sometimes that at least me, I don't want to speak for you, but I'll just speak for me. I worry sometimes that I am too much like the disciples. I worry sometimes maybe that we are more concerned, that we as God's people are more concerned about how we are going to get fed than we are about making sure the work of the gospel gets done. I just, I think that happens to us sometimes. We get more concerned about how we are going to get fed than we are concerned about making sure the work of the gospel gets done. I think sometimes we get more concerned about where are we going to get lunch than who are we going to tell our story to. I'll just tell you, sometimes in my life, I need for the king of the universe to call me out on my complacency. Sometimes I need for Jesus himself to come and say, you are worried about lunch? You got neighbors, you don't even know their names yet, Ethan. You've got people you see at, at school events you haven't even said hi to, and you're worried about lunch? When there's this much work to get done? And Jesus says to me, and maybe he's saying to you, I got lunch covered. You know what I'm going to eat for lunch? I'm going to eat the will of God for lunch. My food is to keep doing the will of the one who sent me until the work is finished. That is my DNA, Jesus says. I would just challenge you sometimes the reason we don't tell our story is because we don't think our story is good enough well i think the samaritan woman is a good reminder to us your story is enough but sometimes the reason we don't tell our story is because we're too busy looking for lunch and i think the king of all creation would say let your food be the will of your father 
And the will of your Father is that all those who are lost would come to know Jesus. And your story could play a part in that. Let's see how this story ends. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's story. Isn't that awesome? Her story convinced some people. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed for two days. And because of Jesus' words, many more became believers. Here's what they said to the woman. We no longer believe because of your story. That sounds hurtful at first, doesn't it? But look what they say next. Now we have heard it for ourselves. Now we've got our own stories. And we know this man really is the Savior of the world. That's the hope I want to give you, church. That is all your story is designed to do. Just to capture somebody's attention long enough so that they'll come meet Jesus and then they'll have your own, their own story. Okay? You don't have to convince them. You don't have to argue them into God's kingdom. You don't have to force them. Just tell your story. Introduce them to Jesus. Ultimately, it is Jesus that they must respond to. It is Jesus that they must trust. This is why an invitation to your small group or an invitation to your Sunday school class or just an invitation to your home where you can tell your story of God's faithfulness is so powerful. Because when you tell your story of God's faithfulness, they might want to meet Jesus for themselves. This is why we're starting this Sunday night service. We want to make sure everybody you ever tell your story to has got a chance to come meet Jesus. And so if you tell your story to somebody and they work on Sunday mornings, you bring them Sunday night. This is why we're doing this Torn series. I love this series coming up. We're going to tell stories of God's faithfulness to people whose lives are torn. And so if you know somebody whose life is torn and they need to hear the story, please bring them in this next series. We want them to hear the stories of hope. This is our DNA, church. We love God. We love others. We make disciples teaching people how to follow God. And we tell the story of God's faithfulness, trusting that your story is enough to spark a light of hope in someone's life so that they will come back with you and meet Jesus. And when they meet Jesus, they won't need your story anymore because they'll have their own story of mercy and grace and transformation. Because that's what happens when the DNA of Jesus Christ is alive in Christ's church. Let's pray. Gracious God, teach us to tell our story. I pray, God, I pray for the person here who does not yet believe that their story is enough, who thinks they need a better story or a more exciting story, a more interesting story before they can bear witness, before they can be an evangelist. I just pray that you would, you would confront that lie, God, and they would believe what your word teaches, that the story we already have is enough and you'll bring us to the right place. I pray for the person, God, right now who has an opportunity to tell their story but is just afraid it's too culturally or too many, too many boundaries, too many obstacles, that they would see the, the example of your son who crossed every obstacle to build a relationship with that woman. 
I pray for the people like me, God, who, who, who have a story to tell and know we're supposed to be telling it, but we're just too busy trying to get lunch to do the will of God. Please, God, wake us up from our complacency. Wake us up and teach us to be the, the storytellers of your grace so the people will come and meet you and soon, by your grace, have their own stories to tell. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.